0: The children are dismissed for Children's Church, and as the children go to Children's Church, I invite you to find Luke chapter 22 in your Bibles, Luke chapter 22. While you're finding Luke chapter 22, I don't know if you guys have been watching and listening to and reading to the news a lot lately, there's plenty going on to keep track of some time ago, I did a little bit of research, as best I could tell, on what were the, the least biased news sources. I'm not gonna get into specifics there because we might have some kind of a fight breakout. Um, I know there's different opinions about those things. I tried to figure out as objectively as possible which news sources are the most, most just facts, you know, without a lot of, of uh, opinion and, and all that. And I settled on the top three on, on most of the list of those who researched these things. And I put those apps on my phone And so at least once a day, I'll just, I'll I'll briefly scan each three of those. And it gives me kind of, I feel like a pretty good idea of what's going on in the world. Usually lately, the top headlines are about the coronavirus, something related to Donald Trump, our president, or something related to the democratic race to see who will be their nominee for the president. And so I feel like I'm fairly up to date on what's going on in those three areas, Uh, but over the weekend, I had the opportunity to have a paper newspaper in my hands, which I never get that. I love to read a paper newspaper, uh, but it it's just it seems expensive we don 't subscribe to one, and I just never never do that but uh, Because of where we were, there was a paper newspaper there, and so I was able to basically read not the whole thing but most of it, which got me a little deeper beyond just the top three headlines so there was stuff about uh, President Trump, the coronavirus, and the democratic race, like you would expect but there then there was all these other stories. Um, and I have to say, man, it was disturbing. It was deeply, deeply disturbing. Um, just reading about those top three headlines that I mentioned can be disturbing enough in of itself. But some of the stuff that is going on in the world and in our country, it, it, it almost seems like it, it's fiction. It almost doesn't seem like it can be real the, the confusion and the evil and the discord, um, it, Meredith and I sat down just talking about, it. we're just trying to process some of these little news stories we read, like, man, there's a lot going on. It can be hard to remain confident that the kingdom of God is still coming sometimes when we look at the state of things in the world, that Jesus is going to return, that justice is going to be fully carried out that he is going to fully establish his reign forever. It can start to get a little discouraging and be difficult to remain confident in that and to carry on with confidence in that. What our passage is going to do for us this morning is is reinforce our confidence in the coming kingdom of God. Before we read it, I want to just briefly read to you two verses from the beginning of the book of Luke so you can see why he wrote any of this. Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. You don't have to flip there. It's going to be very brief. The reason Luke wrote the whole book of Luke, he says, uh, he set forth to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So it's a particular individual that he wanted to write an orderly account of Jesus' life and teaching that you may have certainty regarding, I'm sorry, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So, the whole purpose of the book of Luke is to give believers certainty about the things they've been taught in the scripture about Jesus' life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. So, with that in mind, we will read Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23, as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. This passage specifically, I believe, is to give us as God's people certainty that the kingdom of God is still coming. Even when it looks like it's not, even when something as terrible as Jesus' crucifixion happens, we can remain confident and certain that the kingdom of God is still coming. So let's read together Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. Jesus had sent his disciples ahead to prepare the Passover meals, the annual Jewish feast remembering when God delivered them from Egyptian slavery by killing all the firstborn of the Egyptians but passing over the houses of the Israelites. So they, now they're sitting down to that ritual meal. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Which of them could be who was going to do this? Let's pray. Father, we have here before us your holy, supernaturally inspired word. And we know that you've promised that it never goes forth without accomplishing your purposes. And we know that you've taught us that it is like a double-edged sword that slices right down to the heart and We know that you have taught us that all scripture is profitable for everything we need to thrive and grow as Christians. So we submit to you now and, and to your word and ask that you would bring about all those supernatural benefits as we receive it together. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I'd like to point out to you before we participate in the Lord's Supper, which was instituted here in the events that this passage covers is just four reasons for certainty that the kingdom of God is still coming, even when it doesn't look like it. So think of these as four pillars or four legs on a table that, that will help hold up everything for us as Christians. Our faith in Jesus, our hope and eternal life in him, our, um, our self-discipline for obedience to Jesus Christ, all those things held up Here are four reasons from this passage. The first is that Jesus knew he was going to die. Jesus knew he was going to die. He knew in verse 15 that he was going to suffer. Verse 15 he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So he knew he was going to suffer soon after this meal. He knew he was not going to eat this Passover meal again, that this was going to be his final Passover meal. Verse 16, I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then down in verse 18, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So he knew he was about to suffer. He knew that this would be his last Passover meal with his apostles, his disciples. He also knew that he was going to be betrayed at the end of the passage. He says in verse 21, behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So, very simply, the point Luke, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him to make to Theophilus and then thus to us in all of Jesus' early followers who have been called to this radical way of life of abandoning other ways and following Jesus' way, and dangerous way of life, especially for them is that Jesus knew his death was going to happen. He wasn't taken by surprise. He wasn't taken off guard. On the contrary, and this brings us to the second reason to have certainty that the kingdom of God is still coming, not only did Jesus know he was going to die, he died on purpose. Jesus died on purpose. He remained in control. His body was not taken, it was given. Look back in verse 19. He took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. So when they came to arrest Jesus, they weren't taking him. He was giving himself to be crucified. His blood was not spilled. It was poured out intentionally. Verse 20. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So he was giving his body, he was pouring out his blood on purpose and intentionally. He was not dragged away kicking and screaming. He went as was determined. Like he said in verse 22, the son of man goes as has been determined. Can you imagine how it would have weakened the early Christians with all the pressures that they faced to turn away from Jesus? If they thought that he had been killed because he was powerless to have stopped it. Can you imagine them continuing on when the persecution got so hot and heavy that many of them were dying, including almost all the apostles themselves, for allegiance to Jesus Christ? Can you imagine them saying, well, our king has been defeated and killed and humiliated, but let's carry on in his memory anyway. They knew that Jesus was not defeated, that he purposefully, knowingly gave his life, which brings us to the third reason for certainty that the kingdom of God is still coming. Jesus' death did not end the kingdom of God. I have to imagine those early Christians needed reassurance that the kingdom project, the kingdom movement was not dead because Jesus had been crucified. Jesus' death did not end the kingdom of God. He clearly did not think that the kingdom of God was yet fully established. You can see that by the way he speaks in verse 16. He says, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Clearly, he's looking forward to the future when the Passover would be fully fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In verse 18, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So Jesus' perception wasn't, okay, I'm king now, I'm here, I've amassed a following, let's do this, oh no, they've come to crucify me, it's over. He knew that his death was an important part of the kingdom movement, even if his followers didn't. If you know the Gospels, you know that many of his followers wanted to crown him as king then and there. That's what the, um, the Sunday before Easter, Palm Sunday is all about. They wanted him to go ahead and set himself up as king, but he wasn't ready yet because he knew he was going to need to die. Just as it, it was important for the earlier, early followers to know that Jesus' death and crucifixion did not end the kingdom of God, it's important for us to remember as well, the kingdom of God is still coming. When I read the newspaper. And I see these disturbing stories. I'll tell you just one of them was a story of um, over 2,000, the remains of over 2,000 babies who had been aborted, having been found in the household and garage of a, an abortion doctor. And a group came and had a, a big funeral service for all these, these babies that had been killed through abortion. But when, when you read something like that, It's good and vital and important to remember, even though evil exists and still is writhing around, the kingdom of God is still coming. Whatever it is that we see that makes us wonder, is there going to be justice in this world? Yes. Even Jesus' own betrayal and arrest and torture and humiliating death on the cross did not stop the kingdom of God. It is still coming. We're going to have our memorial service next Sunday, and funeral services and memorial services are important for us because it makes us face our own mortality. And as we age and as we, we get a, a deeper, a deepening sense of our own mortality, we can be certain enough to face death in peace because we know the kingdom of God is coming. Jesus is going to return, and part of that includes the resurrection of the dead, and that will be with him in eternity. I cannot imagine the terror of facing your mortality apart from hope in the coming kingdom of God in which we'll be resurrected to eternal life with Jesus Christ. When we are trying to withstand the currents of our current culture, which has come unmoored from, from God's truth completely, we can stand firm, and find a way to navigate it with love, but also truth. I was talking to someone yesterday, and and they were talking about how confusing it has gotten for his workplace, because in wanting to be sensitive and um, inclusive of everyone, they started requiring email signatures that include stating your preferred pronouns, because so many are so deeply confused about their gender, that it no longer seems fitting for them to go by he or she specifically, designating a gender. So there's many different ways to, to alleviate that tension, including using they rather than he or she, uh, and, and other options that I'm not all that familiar with. But he was saying, you know, even not beyond theology and morality, just practically speaking, it is getting nearly impossible to communicate. Like these things are coming fast. How are we going to be able to navigate them? Showing the, the radical, gracious, merciful love of Jesus Christ, but also standing firmly about what's true and not just going along with it. It is strengthening to remember the kingdom of God is coming. We are part of this whole other culture. We are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God which is crystal clear about many things that our other kingdoms are deeply confused about. Certainty about the kingdom of God can give us some sense of traction in this world in which everything is slipping loose. The kingdom of God was not frustrated by the crucifixion, and it will not be frustrated by anything. Nothing you can read about in the news, nothing you can encounter this week at work, Nothing that you yourself are dealing with will stall the coming kingdom of God. Our king, Jesus Christ, is going to return. And that is certain. Which leads me to the fourth and final reason in this passage for certainty, that the kingdom of God is still coming, even when it sometimes looks like maybe it isn't. Jesus' death secured a way to enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 20 He says, and likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. His blood on the cross was going to open a new way for sinners like me and you to be made right with a holy God, to be forgiven of our rebellion against the one true king, pardoned of all of our crimes against him, cleaned up, made fit For the kingdom of God and granted citizenship in the kingdom of God, all based on the blood of Jesus on the cross. So here are your four pillars, just simple reminders from a straightforward passage of scripture. Jesus knew he was going to die. Jesus died on purpose. Jesus' death did not end the kingdom of God. Jesus' death secured a way for sinners like us to enter into the kingdom of God. So now we're going to turn our attention to the Lord's Supper. I want to read verse 19 again. And Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We do this frequently. We've actually increased the frequency every year. Um, some churches participate in the Lord's Supper every single Sunday. We used to do it quarterly, and we've kind of slowly increased that. I think we're doing it twice a quarter this year as the plan. Um, I think we need to do it very often because it reminds us of King Jesus. We can easily be distracted from that, and we can easily get caught up in other things that are third-level issues and get very confused, and we always need to come back and remember Jesus Christ, our Savior, and our Lord, and it renews our confidence His kingdom is coming. I'm going to give you some instructions before I I give you some things to think about. To receive the bread and cup of communion, the Lord's Supper, you need to be a Christian. And when I say be a Christian, I mean you need to be one who has repented of their sins, trusted in Jesus for forgiveness of those sins based on his death on the cross for you, and given yourself to follow Jesus as your Lord. So it's not exactly as synonymous with going to church. Uh, You can go to church and even participate in church and not be a Christian. Many people over the ages have been church people but not Christ people. So I want to emphasize to receive the bread and cup, the first step is to be a Christian. Having repented of your sins, trusted in Jesus as your Savior, following Jesus as your Lord. Your first step after making that decision is baptism. You make that public first through baptism, and then after you're a baptized, publicly acknowledged believer and follower of Jesus Christ, uh, it is vital that you participate in the Lord's Supper. But up to that point, please do not participate in the Lord's Supper. Uh, You do not need to be a church member of Doolin's Grove to receive the Lord's Supper. But I do, uh, we do believe that you should be a member of a church, uh, another commitment that I made last year was that any time we receive the Lord's Supper, I was going to just remind us as a church why church membership is important. So I'm just briefly—I'm not going to go through all the scriptures. Just briefly, a couple of the points that we found when we studied what it means to be the church together two years ago, we landed on viewing church membership as a spiritual discipline. So you have like a Bible reading plan and a prayer journal that you use, and these are things that help you in your spiritual disciplines of reading the Bible and prayer. Church membership is a spiritual discipline equally important with those that helps discipline you to participate in fellowship. The reason this is vital is that you cannot obey Jesus' commands without being in fellowship. So many of his commands cannot be obeyed apart from deepening relationships with other Christians. So it helps us obey Jesus, it establishes a commitment, which is where relationships flourish. Uh, our world tends to think that first comes the relationship and then comes the commitment. Let's, let's date and maybe move in together, and then from that will come a commitment. That's not the way the Bible portrays it. The Bible says, no, first comes the commitment, and then the relationship has the security to grow and flourish from that. So we believe fellowship flourishes best when we commit to each other in church membership. It helps with accountability. Scripture teaches that we are to hold each other accountable. If, we see, if you see me wandering off into sin, as fellow church members, I have agreed that I expect that you will call me out on that, and that you'll come and talk to me about it. And, and that is an expectation placed upon you as a fellow church member. Um, it helps for pastoral ministry. I can tell you personally, it's very helpful for me to know who is my flock and who isn't. And when you float among many churches, you run the risk of, not having a pastor who feels responsible for you. And you, you expose pastors like me to the risk of malpractice because we may not realize that we're the only pastor in your life. I may think that you have another pastor if you float in and out. Um, it helps with spiritual growth. Ephesians 4 teaches pretty clearly that we grow together or we do not grow at all. There really is no such thing as an individual Christian. You're saved into a church, you're saved into the church. And apart from the fellowship, we drift. We just drift away. Um, And then finally, it employs the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit, and he empowers you with spiritual gifts. And if you go to 1 Corinthians 12 and read those gifts, really, you can't use any of them apart from the body of Christ. I don't know if any of them really make sense on your own in your house, maybe speaking in tongues. Um, but most of them have to do with ways the Holy Spirit uses you to bless your fellow Christians. So for all those reasons, we believe it is a healthy spiritual discipline to be a member of a church. But you don't have to be a member of the church to participate in the Lord's Supper this morning. So those are, those are some brief instructions. Now, as we receive the bread and cup, we'll have a lot of breathing room to think and meditate and pray, and that's on purpose. Um, here's some some questions for you to consider based on the passage that we just read. Have you begun to doubt the coming kingdom of God? Have you begun to waver in your commitment as a citizen of the kingdom of God? And now some sub-questions based off of that. Have you started to grow apathetic about seeking the kingdom of God? Have you started to get off task and pursuing things of lesser kingdoms and neglecting the kingdom of God? Have you embraced ongoing unrepentant sin? We all struggle with sin but have you given up fighting in some area of your life and just embraced ongoing unrepentant sin? Have you grown tired and weary of pursuing the kingdom of God? Your heart is right, but your stamina has been failing recently. If any of that is true of you, this Lord's Supper is a great opportunity to renew your zeal for the kingdom, to renew your, your repentance as a citizen of the kingdom, to renew your strength in pursuit of the kingdom. When I say pursuit of the kingdom, I mean uh, embracing Christ's rule over, over your life and trying to get others to join the kingdom with you through Jesus Christ. We're going to take this time to prayerfully renew our certainty that the kingdom of God is coming and work out the implications of of that to be thinking what would my life look like this week if i did really fully believe with 100% certainty that jesus is going to return possibly very soon and reign forever i'm going to pray for us and then i'll invite our deacons to come forward and we'll we'll start the lord's supper father thank you for your grace and mercy toward us through jesus for the new covenant in his blood we confess Our sinfulness, we confess that not any one of us deserves to be citizens of your kingdom. We confess how hard it can be to remain confident and certain and expectant and clear that the kingdom is still coming. Would you use this time and these elements to search our hearts, reveal to us any way in which we have drifted away and and gone astray? Or let the bread and the cup, renew our faith in Jesus as our Savior. Let it renew our allegiance to him as our Lord and King. Let it embolden us and clarify us to go out into this deeply confused world with the love and truth of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.